Hello from the future. This is Seth, your host of the podcast. I just wanted to pop in real quick before the show starts to let you all know that I had such a fabulous time recording with Will Jameson, who is the guest of this podcast. And we had so much fun and I have so much content to share with you that I'm actually splitting this episode into two episodes. So the part two to this podcast will be released in one week next Friday. So you don't have to wait as long for episodes for the next few weeks. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the show. Hello, you're listening to the Trouble Trouble Podcast, and I'm your host, Seth. I'll be your host for this adventure. Before I get started, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll have all the podcasts delivered right to your app of choice. If you made it to the end and enjoyed your experience, leave a review. I have a special show for you today. I am joined by the Will Jameson. Will Jameson is a talented queer illustrator. They have designed two logos for my other podcast, Thanks for Coming, a RuPaul's Drag Race podcast, and the logo for this very podcast you're listening to right now. Uh, While they are from the St. Louis, Missouri area, Will's illustrator services are available worldwide. I'll put their socials down below if you'd like to contact them. All right, without further ado, let's welcome Will. Hey, Will, what are you doing this evening? Hello, uh, I'm recording this lovely little podcast about (laughs) uh, queer music with with you. It's it's a great time. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Yes. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm good. Fine. Like as good as I can be with like everything going on in the country. I don't know. I try to limit the times when I'm checking the news because it is so overwhelming, but I have virtual therapy, I'm doing lots of art, so I'm doing pretty great, all things considered. (laughs) That's great to hear. So right at the beginning, since I have a guest, we like to talk about our connection with music on this show. Uh, I know that you're a music lover like I am, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your connection to music? Yeah, so I am a music lover. Uh, I am not a musical person in any way. Uh, When I was six, (laughs) my dad tried to get me to learn the guitar, but I was very bored and I hated it. Um, Oh no. I I also have this memory of um, in seventh grade, I... My music teacher was trying to teach the entire class how to play the piano, but because there were so many students in the class, uh, there was only so much time the music teacher could go around to everyone, so I learned like one song, (laughs) but I learned it really well. (laughs) I I played that one introductory piano song like like a pro. (laughs) But I guess more like on a serious note, music always has been like a respite for whatever I'm going through. And especially growing up before I had the vocabulary for uh, gender identities or sexualities, it was always a great kind of resource to turn to, to kind of express feelings. Yeah, totally. I know a lot of people listening may not be familiar with they, them pronouns that I used to introduce you. So I was wondering if you could introduce your gender identity and kind of just say a little bit about what that means for you. Sure. So I uh, identify as non-binary. I'm your friendly neighborhood non-binary artist. And for me, that concept, well, it, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But for me, it just means like a third category besides male and female. So speaking from my own experience, like if you think of gender as kind of like a, a a spectrum like on one side you have male the other side you have female i would feel more somewhere along the middle and i think the pronoun reflects that um like i have this distinct memory um of this dream i had like a year or two ago in which uh i was literally explaining this concept to my mom and i woke up with the phrase in my head i feel like a they <laughs> which is not grammatically correct, <laughs> but that's really it. I just, I don't feel like a he or a she, uh, like they, I think is a pronoun that really captures my own 
essence. Definitely. I think that it's important to talk about that too. Obvious, well, especially on this podcast, because we are, you know, basically a queer podcast. This is for everybody, but of course, we like to give platform to the queer voices, or at least I like to. I say we like I uh, am more than one person, but no, <laughs> sometimes you, I feel like one. <laughs> you mean the whole gay agenda, because they're all listening in, they're yeah. all telling you what to say here, clearly. Yeah, all the gays trademark. <laughs> But um, but no, I, I will first thank you for sharing that. I know that it's I don't know. I don't want to say it's like a touchy subject, but it's like maybe a sensitive subject because not a lot of people today are formed or take the time to understand what gender non-binary means. So I thought it was important to talk about that just really briefly so that maybe someone listening to this podcast feels like a little bit more knowledgeable. So next time they meet someone, they can be a little bit more, uh, what's the word, uh, knowledgeable or accepting inclusive. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think, um, no, I think education is really important. I think it's also patience is also a very important trait to kind of cultivate, especially for someone who is really not familiar with these concepts, concepts at all. It's going to take some time to adapt to that. Um, and so being willing to have a very open and honest dialogue really goes a long way. And I also, I mean, I can only speak to my own experiences as a non-binary person, Like, obviously, the definition might be a little bit different depending on the person, but the best thing you can really do is just ask someone their preferred pronouns and just ask them how they identify and really, yeah, focus on their own identity and support that, even if you maybe don't quite understand it all at first. Speaking about that, I think this might be a good opportunity to provide a great tool to people that aren't familiar with they, them pronouns. Um, what would you say is a good way or um, like say for example someone would say oh well he blah 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 and they were to like misgender you so what would you say is like a good corrective course or a good corrective response for someone in that situation yeah great question Um, because that has happened before believe it or not (laughs) um, in in life (laughs) Um, so I think the best thing to do is really just to catch yourself in the act correct yourself just say that they or them or whatever the context is briefly apologize and move on because i think i i've also seen the tendency of some people to like profusely apologize and like really go above and beyond to know like i feel horrible for this thing i have said to you which i appreciate but also just accept that you made the mistake and move on like it's a learning opportunity and it also kind of puts the non-binary person on the spot while being like okay you don't have to feel that way like cheer up it's fine like no we shouldn't have to please the other person so just it's okay people are going to make mistakes so don't be afraid to make a mistake it's all worth it in the long run totally i think that will be really useful to people that come across this so we're just having a really great conversation so far i'm enjoying this (laughs) i love this well and also i've seen this on social media as kind of like a practice tool just imagine, like, if you have, if you are wearing, like, a shirt with a pocket in it, that there's a little tiny mouse in that pocket. And so when you're talking to the person, you're talking to the person and the mouse, so you're using they, them. It's still in kind of a plural <laughs> sense, but it kind of practices your use of they as a singular pronoun. Definitely. That's a good tip. So you guys all listening have homework to do now. <laughs> Yes, this so is when, your teacher speaking. <laughs> when when you when you go to talk to anybody, you have to imagine that the mouse in their pocket. So that way, next time you meet someone that uses they and them pronouns, it won't sound so foreign to you. There you go. Well, I would like to steer this discussion a little bit back towards music at this point. What is your first memory of music? Oh wow, my very first. Um... Well, actually, what comes to mind, and this is really just pulling deep in the recesses of my brain. So growing up, I uh, I have some cousins who are in Florida, and growing up, I would always fly down to Florida with my mom to go like visit them every so often. And I have this distinct memory of like being in the rental car and listening to a lot of early 2000s pop music. And it was always the same kind of <laughs> sets of songs. And I was like, maybe like five. Like, I didn't know anything about anything. But I just, I have those like 
distinct like sounds in my mind you know this uh this is really making me feel old that <laughs> that your your parents would listen to early 2000s pop music i oh no my parents uh are no spring chickens i also I, i'm trying to be as polite as i can in case they're listening <laughs> okay <laughs> but it was a lot of um like vanessa carlton Michelle Branch, that one like Counting Crows song that's like a Joni Mitchell cover. They, is it, uh, is it Pave Paradise? No, Parking, wait, what's the one? Do you know where they're like paving the- Oh, Pave Paradise? Is it Taxi Cab? Yes, Taxi Cab, that's it. Yeah. Like that one, I just always had that guy's voice in my head for like years and years until I finally <laughs> looked up the song. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. You see, I mean, the 90s music is a good place to to grow up listening to that, you know, the 90s into early 2000s. I mean, that's all music. I mean, I grew up with, you know, I was still still pretty young myself, but uh <laughs> But yeah, I I my parents were um of the like 60s and 70s generation so they were really into like what I guess is considered classic rock. So, it was just really funny for me to hear that your parents are like um, listening to like early 2000s music. <laughs> I will say they're my parents were big on just like whatever's on the radio, but I for years and years I've grown up with my uh, stepdad. There's some ch- like cable channel that's just like live music performances, usually from people I would say of like 60s, 70s, 80s rockers. And so I have so many memories of being in the living room with him. He turns on this channel and he's you know, t- telling me all about this like semi-obscure band or musician and like also like what arena they were in like oh I saw them in concert in such and such year or whatever and it was it was sweet I usually I did not know who the musician was but it was like it was a really nice kind of bonding experience that way yeah I love how music can help facilitate that sort of like because I have that similar bond with my father so it's really in it more more even more so i guess you would say as i get older it's helped us to bond a lot with you know like oh like i heard this this is really good like just passing recommendations back and forth so what is what do you typically look for in music like what draws you in is it an album the artist a style what the lyrics are yeah so i um i'm not very picky in that sense um I mean, in terms of genres, I always usually tend to go for, like, super angsty gay folk music, which is a surprisingly robust genre. I tend <laughs> to go for a lot of more, like, acoustic, kind of intimate musicians that way. But I like my music to feel vulnerable. I want it to have this emotional connection with an artist. So if I can kind of tell that, like, whatever the song is, is clearly expressing something that the artist is releasing emotionally then i'm gonna gravitate towards that because i i know that you are a very big taylor swift fan so i was wondering if you just wanted to briefly discuss your experience (laughs) or your love for taylor oh my gosh always literally always um oh my gosh i i well i've been really following her career (laughs) since it really first took off i remember and I feel like I'm going to make you sound like you're probably going to feel really old when I say this, but uh, the song (laughs) Love Story came out when I was in middle school back in 2008. And what I remember is when the time right when it came out, I was in my school's uh, production of Romeo and Juliet. I played the role of Romeo. Of course. <laughs> I really, I really sold. Gender binary. I know. I really sold the the idea of like a, a strong heterosexual cisgendered man. <laughs> I was very convincing, I'm sure, as a 12-year-old. But that that was a weird connection I had to that song growing up. And ever since then, I've always followed her albums. I've been to, I went to the Red Tour. I went to the 1989 Tour. I, uh, even for one of my class assignments in art school, at the end of my junior year, I, I, I adapted this Taylor Swift song. It's called Enchanted. It's from her Speak Now album. I don't know if you've heard it or not. I like that song, yeah. Okay, I, I do good. know that one. Because um, I adapted it into this little comic about this, like, the, these uh, two gay prom dates, and they're, like, their first time kind of falling for each other, and it was very sweet very fun yeah so i i've always followed it i can't get enough of folklore 
I listen to it all the time. I was going to ask you what your uh, impressions were because that's her newest album. She put it out. It's only it's been out for like a few months, not not a terribly long time or anything like that. You're happy with it? <laughs> I am. I am blown away by it. Like especially as someone who like my family makes fun of me for my obscure taste in folk music. Sometimes it feels like she made this album just for me and no one else. But it feels like very heartfelt music. I love Betty. I love when she swears. Like Taylor Swift swearing just gives me life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's just so pretty. I just it feels like a very exper- experimental sound for her and I could tell she's having a lot of fun with that. If you could take only one Taylor Swift song with you to a desert island, which would it be? Oh my gosh. I was not prepared for this. That's like <laughs> if you had like however many songs she's written, however many like children and you had to pick one of those and take them with you to a desert island. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'm thinking out loud. I might have to do (laughs) kind of a deep cut, um, from her fearless album. Uh, I think that was her second one. It is the song called breathe with, uh, it's featuring Colby Calais. It's this very pretty duet. And I think it's very similar sound-wise, I don't know the musical term, to a lot of what's on Folklore now, but I just have vivid memories of being like an angsty teenager in middle school and listening to that (laughs) song to like stop feeling so anxious all the time. And so it has a lot of special significance for me. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love like hearing that. And I liked how you described Folklore, the album, being like, oh, it sounds like it was written just for me because... Like, those albums are just so special. Like, of course, you know, it's great when you like music, but, like, if when you connect to an album or a song like that, it's just so special, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I feel like everyone, like, if they don't think they have an album or a song that they connect to like that, like, I think that they do. They just haven't thought about it long enough. Right, right. So one more question for you. What music are you listening to currently? It doesn't have to be a new artist, but just whatever you've been listening to lately. Yeah, okay. So the main thing I've been listening to now is his name is Noah Reed. He is this kind of folk musician. Do you ever watch Schitt's Creek at all, the TV show? That's next on my binge list, but I haven't watched it yet. Well, first of all, it has been consuming my life for the past few weeks. But Noah Reed, (laughs) he plays the main queer love interest that shows up about halfway through the show named Patrick. And his music is, it sounds a little bit like James Taylor, but with a bit more rasp to it, a bit more edge. His music is like a warm hug. Like, it's just so heartfelt and the lyrics are clever and i i love it so much so i've been listening to a lot of that let's see a lot of trixie mattel too i'm always listening to her stuff i i think yes, she has like new stuff or real i mean i always go back to two birds i'll i love barbara like i really just all of her discography i think it's one of my favorite like drag queen music ever because i feel like it doesn't it doesn't feel like a drag queen making music just to have something to sell. It feels much more like this is her as a person in song form. We mentioned folklore and then Panic at the Disco. It's always been one of my favorites. Okay. Do you, are you um like a fan of their entire discography or cuz like for me like I was first listening to them when you're probably in kindergarten in, or something. When I was a fetus. When I was born. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, um, so. Oh, no. I was going to say, I. Well, I remember when I Write Sins Not Tragedies came out, I felt that it was the most scandalous song to ever hit the airwaves because it said, uh, God damn. Yeah. Uh, it actually said that. <gasps> I know. No. <laughs> need to wash my mouth out with soap now i'm gonna be back in a few minutes here (laughs) yeah (laughs) no but i i really got into them with more of uh their well it is one person and he uses he pronouns so i guess i would say he with uh the later albums so like death of a bachelor and pray for the wicked um specifically because my uh sweet mates in college i i'm a recent college graduate for context for people we all bonded over <laughs> Panic at the Disco. We went to see them in concert twice. I guess Brenda Deary and the band, I'm using okay. the plural of they. But um, so it's always been kind of this like special nostalgia for me. 
So you were really excited when they did a collab with Panic at the Disco and Taylor Swift? I, okay. I have a lot of feelings about the, the hit single, Me. Like, on paper, I love the idea of them collaborating. I, why did it have to be that song? I, like, okay, <laughs> spelling is fun, yes, but do we need to exclaim that for everyone to, like, hear, you know? I don't know... Yeah, And I also, like, I love the album Lover. I don't think that single did a good job of conveying what that album was. So I don't know. Maybe there will be uh, another collaboration down the line. I don't know. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah, I think that was kind of at the point in her discography where I I got kind of, like, dropped off with, like, listening to her. Like, it was, like, after 1989. I was sort of like, all right, like, I guess I've had enough of Taylor Swift. (laughs) But I I have listened to Folklore, and I do... I I mean, I haven't listened to it enough to, like, have a full opinion, but I have enjoyed my experience the couple times I have listened to it. So maybe I'm back on board again. Yay, my work here is done. That was my entire goal of this episode. (laughs) Sold. So I know Taylor Swift listens to this, so... You owe Will their check, so he made another. They made another sale um, for you, and yeah, yeah. Also, I'll, you can come on the show. We'll interview you. Please, I like that you list me getting like a royalty check from her before. Please come on my show. Well, money's important. It's important to pay queer artists because it's uh, it's hard out there in the world. Yes, agreed. I love that. All right. Well, I feel like we've had a real great conversation. Thank you for being so open, Will. You are so welcome. Let's go ahead and move on into the meat of the show. So today we are talking about two albums, and these are albums that are very different from what I have covered so far. So we have on one hand my pick, which is the Call Me By Your Name soundtrack, And then Will chose, it's uh, Sarah Bareilles, and the title of this is Brave Enough, Live at the Variety Playhouse. So this is a live, uh, well, it came out as a CD and DVD, so you can watch it and listen to it. So these are kind of new. Um, I've not covered a live album. I've not covered a soundtrack yet on this podcast. So this may be a little bit of a different format than some of you listening are used to so just just go with it we're gonna have fun <laughs> i i mean i really hope no one listening to this is gonna be like ew a soundtrack and a live album i'm shutting this off immediately like come on it's music <laughs> yeah it, i feel like if i feel like my people that listen to this i feel like they're i feel like they're more cultured and more open to having all types of experiences with music so I feel like I feel like we'll be okay, but I'm sure there will be at least a couple that are like, eh, no, this is not for me. Skipping. <laughs> well, they are missing out. These are these are this is like they the best are. that I think music has to offer. <laughs> yes, yes. Will did mention how important this live album is. Uh, from Sarah Bareilles is important how important it is to them so we'll we'll get to that discussion but we'll start with Call Me By Your Name so Call Me By Your Name was released in theaters November 24th 2017 and changed the lives of everyone who saw it to say this is just a movie is an understatement it's a lifestyle a mood and an aesthetic Before we get too far into this episode, let me tell you briefly what the movie is about. Somewhere in northern Italy in 1983, Oliver comes to the Perlman household where he will be studying abroad with Professor Perlman. While in one of the most beautiful places in the world, he discovers one of the most beautiful people in the world, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Elio. No, it's Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> this is a very weird meta um, production. <laughs> this is. I. It must have been a, a Freudian slip. <laughs> so over a six-week period, we see Oliver and Elio traverse lust and the tribulations of a budding romance into one of the greatest love stories of all time. A love that will last forever. While critiqued for showing a relationship with an age gap, the movie still succeeds. Love wins. It was made on an estimated budget of 4 million euros or 
4,688,140 American dollars. <laughs> and the movie grossed 18 million $95,701 in America and $41,887,595 worldwide. <laughs> Whew, that was a mouthful. I like to imagine that, like, you've been, that's like a monologue that you've been memorizing since the movie came out. <laughs> like, I just. <laughs> I mean, I've just been waiting to say it. It's, uh, I mean,. People listening to this podcast don't know, but this is like one of my favorite movies of all time. If you listen to Thanks for Coming, like we talk about this movie a lot, <laughs> maybe ad nauseum. Yes, I can vouch for that. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, music is vital to director Luca Guadagnino's films, but he normally doesn't hire composers and instead makes selections from pre-existing music, or as it's called, a pop score. However, for this film, Luca decided to invite Sufjan Stevens to write a song for the movie. Luca said, quote, An artist for whom I have enormous admiration is Sufjan. His voice is fantastic and angelic, and his lyrics are so sharp and deep and full of sorrow and beauty. The music is so haunting. All of these elements were the ones I wanted to envision in the film, end quote. Sufjan Stevens never collaborated to contribute music to a movie soundtrack before. He read the book and discussed it with Luca in order to get the right feeling for this song. They actually ended up agreeing that Sufjan would write two songs for the movie. Luca invited the film's stars Timothy Chalamet and... Army Hammer and the film's editor Walter Fasano over to listen to these songs at his house. He says, quote, it was magic, says Fasano. A really wonderful movement, end quote. Luca also had another of Steven's songs rearranged for the movie on piano. That makes three songs contributed, quote, I think Sufjan's songs add another voice to the film, says Guadagnino. They are kind of like a narration without a narration, end quote. These three songs used in the film represent three distinct phases of relationship between Elio and Oliver, Feudal devices, hesitant and full of longing, plays before Elio expresses his true feelings towards Oliver. Mystery of Love soundtracks their joyful trip to Bergamo, while Visions of Gideon plays over their final scene, signaling the end of a chapter in Elio's life. Steven said about his experience working with Luca, He's one of those rare directors who uses music and sound so fiercely and with such mastery that you cannot imagine the films without music, end quote. Uh, so because this movie is set in the 1980s, Luca chose a lot of Italian pop songs that were popular at the time. He also features the song Love My Way by the Psychedelic Furs twice in the movie. He said... Quote, it's kind of autobiographical because I remember listening to that song when I was 17 and being completely affected by it. I wanted to pay homage to myself then, end quote. As far as selecting which music to feature in the movie, Lucas said, I go through music in the way that has to do with my instinct. By the way, I like the concept of piano as dialogue. In fact, in Call Me By Your Name, we have extensive usage of piano because those notes, in a way, are the interior and exterior dialogue between Elio and himself and Elio and Oliver, end quote. Fun fact, on its premiere night, the movie received a 10-minute standing ovation, which is the longest standing ovation ever at the New York Film Festival. Whoa. <laughs> that's all I have to say to that. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, I feel like. But if you've seen the movie, you can totally understand. I No, absolutely. And can I also just add that, oh gosh, what was the name of the song by the Psychedelics? The Love My Way? Yes, I was, um, I was watching a lot of clips from the movie recently, just kind of refresh my mind. And the scene of Oliver just dancing the night away to that song and just not caring whatsoever what anyone might possibly think of his terrible dance skills is truly inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's actually um, the scene that he felt most awkward filming, even above the sex scenes. That makes sense, based on the dancing that he made with his body. (laughs) Yeah, because when they record it, they don't play the music for him to dance to. It's just like a click track. Okay. So he has to, like, imagine what's happening and stay on the beat of the song and that sort of thing. So he just felt really awkward about it. I I know of a click track because of a behind the scenes video that Taylor Swift made during her reputation album era, (laughs) (laughs) tying it all together. Yes. So do you remember the first time that you watched this movie? What was your experience like? Oh gosh. Um, okay. Honestly, I don't remember where I saw this movie movie first. I, I mean, most likely it was like on my laptop at my parents' house, like on a, maybe like a holiday break from college or something. But it kind of feels like this movie has always been a part of my life. <laughs> like I don't remember a time when it wasn't a thing. And I do think, and we'll kind of get into this later with the Sarah Bareilles album, but I think that this soundtrack pairs really well with that live album in that both of these are about this complete and total vulnerability with another person. This pairing really worked out. Yeah, it usually does when I have a guest. They kind of, they the album somehow always find a way to relate. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. I uh, I personally I saw this in the movie theater. I remember like it was getting a lot of hype, and so you know usually when that happens for a movie, I'm like, eh, this is not for me. So I was just like, everyone was like, oh my gosh, and then they're like, you know, talking about the age gap and things like that, and making a big deal out of it. And so then eventually, I think I saw it like it's either in December or January, I want to say. So I saw it a few months after it came out, but I was actually saw it like. I think I went to see it every weekend. I just loved it so much that I actually saw it like 10 times in the movie theater. Wow. Like, <laughs> I, so I've had a lot of experiences like seeing it. I don't know. There's just something about it that just like kind of what you said, it draws you and it feels like it's always been a part of your life. I don't know how that's possible, but it is. It happened. <laughs> I, I like to imagine you were like single-handedly funding that entire movie theater with all the times you went to see it. <laughs> It, it kind of feels like it. <laughs> well, and you've been you've been jet setting, right? Like you've visited some of those areas in Italy where it was filmed, right? I did, yes. Uh, so it was in 2019. I did go to somewhere in northern Italy. It was so fun. Like I was just so encapsulated by the movie. Like I was, and I wanted to travel. So that kind of worked out. And so that was a part of my trip was going to see the filming locations. And it was just so fun, like, finding them. And then you get there and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, this happened here and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, I don't know. It really helped to bring the movie alive, I think, for me. <laughs> I just, to yeah, to be clear, this was in 2019. This was pre-COVID. We're, we're both being very yes. safe. Uh, please don't travel abroad. I don't even, even know if you can, if you're in the U.S. right now. I don't think so. <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, I just remember, like, even the first couple times, like, after watching the movie, I just remember, like, leaving the theater feeling so devastated. Like, you know, it was just, like, so devastating because it's like, here's this great love story. And then they're, you know, ripped apart, which you kind of know is going to happen the entire movie. But then when you actually get there, it's just, like, heartbreaking. No, absolutely. Like, I was trying to think of why this movie resonated for me, why I think it resonates for a lot of, like, especially queer people. And for me, um, well, A, the environment, it feels like a complete and utter fantasy devoid of any struggle or hardships. It's gorgeous. But I think more importantly, like, Elio and Oliver, the two main characters, I don't think they're very macho. It, like, for me, watching those scenes, it feels like they are diving headfirst into their emotions and letting the emotions guide their point of view rather than any sort of masculine performance. Totally. Yeah, they they both, you know, they're... I guess we can maybe talk about it now, but, you know, even though there's, like, this age gap between them, they sort of feel like equals in the movie, you know, Elio being a little bit more mature than uh, being 17 years old. I think really, to me, the point of like him being 17 in, in the movie 
is just to illustrate that he is like on the verge of adulthood, basically. You know, it's a coming of age story. So I know that the age gap was kind of problematic, of course, not condoning this behavior. But I don't know. What are what are your thoughts about this? I like I agree. I think it is completely valid to criti- criticize the movie for that. Um, I'm not here to, I don't know, start Twitter fights with anyone about this. But I also think that it's totally fair to view this as a gorgeous coming-of-age movie. I think there's space for being able to both appreciate and criticize it. And I think you're obviously entitled to your opinion. Y- yeah, so I think, I mean, I, there are a lot of ways to view it. It's very complicated, but I think for our purposes, we're clearly like, it deeply resonates with us, uh, the both of us. And so I think that's why we're really so fixated on the movie as a whole. Right. I think it just sort of reminds me of like what it was like sort of, you know, being, you know, just newly an adult and sort of having these feelings towards other men and, you know, maybe a couple years older than me or whatever. And I was just sort of like remembering that and just above all, like, I don't think the ages of these two people, it's like 17 and 24. I don't think that for me, I don't really like focus on that aspect of the story. Like in my mind, it could be someone that's like 18 and 25 or, you know, whatever, like so on and so forth. So for me, like the movie is more about like the love that these two people have for each other. And it's like so deep and intense and it's something that I'm searching for. So I really uh, like that aspect of the movie. So if you're listening and you're a single eligible bachelor or I don't know, maybe there's an open relationship, you're looking for another person, like Seth is single, <laughs> just just throwing that out there. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, my wing person will. I will happily be your, your wing person. And I, on kind of a similar note, I was thinking that it, in the movie, uh, Oliver, played by Army Hammer, is supposed to be 24. The actor, I think, looks much, much older than that because I am currently, I, <laughs> yeah. I just turned 24, and I don't look, sound, or act anything like Army Hammer as a person. <laughs> I mean, not many people can. Uh, That is fair. It is something to aspire to. But I mean, I really think you are meant to empathize more with Elia, with Timothy Chalamet, with this younger person who is really like discovering their identity, discovering their sexuality. And that that is what resonates with me far more than the somewhat pretentious grad student. (laughs) Yeah, totally. All right. So let's go ahead and get into this soundtrack. We're going to sort of go like very quickly through some of the songs we'll we'll stop a little bit more on them but so the first song on this soundtrack is hallelujah junction the first movement by john adams and this is a movement from john adams's work for two pianos from the late 90s so it's actually written after the the setting of the movie but it fits in so well for the credits it's energetic and repetitive it's writing Uh, using a technique called modern minimalism. So this is basically the song that you hear during the credits. And once you hear the few piano chords like going, you're like sucked in. You're like, all right, like, let's do this. It's gonna, it's gonna happen. I love that. When you mentioned the modern minimalism, I was like, I don't know anything about that. I have nothing to add. I am not a music scholar. You definitely are. (laughs) This is for you. I just, I draw. (laughs) (laughs) So we did talk about Luca using piano as a narrator. The song is actually featured later in the movie as Elio leaves Oliver's room. uh, Elio is standing on the balcony and watching Oliver kind of walk off to do whatever Oliver's doing for that day. So it's it's, it's there as well. I think for me, this is sort of like to illustrate the beginning of a relationship because we kind of see it towards the the beginning of of the movie and we kind of see it like during the start of their relationship it's also played again as they go down the uh the road out in the country on the way to the berm and they stop at the woman's house where they get the water they actually start playing that piano music again during that scene too all right so we have the next song 
May in the Backyard by, uh, and you have to excuse me because this is a, a Japanese composer. He said his name, I believe, is Ryuchi Sakamoto. So uh, apologies for for any pronunciation mistakes there. So this part, this song is played uh, during one of the beginning scenes where Oliver and Elio go to the square in Crema. And they're having like drinks, just general chit chat, getting to know each other, and then continues into the next scene where Oliver and Professor Perlman discuss entomology in the library at home. And it also plays a little bit again in the shortly there following scene where Elio is shaving his quote unquote mustache (laughs) and the volleyball game is uh, they're playing the volleyball and it kind of continues into the following scene where the Perlmans are having their outside dinner in the backyard where uh, Elio asks, uh, do you think Oliver is a little bit arrogante? arrogant i which okay to be fair i think that elio's character is a little pompous like i because he is precocious yeah yes but it was also like his family's rich he plays the piano he like has a lot of societal privilege that i don't think he fully acknowledges also because he's like kind of like a, a petulant 17 year old but you kind of watch it and you're like okay just cut the crap man just <laughs> just relax <laughs> that and well and just tell oliver that you like him yes because this is like the definitely like the develop the initial developing of those feelings like elio definitely doesn't recognize at this point that he actually has feelings for oliver so the next song on the soundtrack is paris latino by bandolero and this is featured in the scene where they are, uh, this is while they're playing the the volleyball game in the backyard. It's just like sort of a song in the background. Like, you know, there's all these teens like playing volleyball in the summer in the backyard sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, there was. So nothing too crazy here. <laughs> well, I remember this scene because isn't this where Oliver just starts massaging Elio's back and is like, oh, it's like really tight. You should like relax. Hey, other person, <laughs> come rub on Timothy Chalamet's back and tell me if it feels tight. Like it, it, it is very flirtatious. I can, you can see. Yeah, it is. I like that scene though because it's sort of like you know this is sort of Oliver trying to like reach out and you know come back and be like you know like I, I think I like you too, Elio. So I, I think the characters, I, I think both the actors do a very good job of kind of matching each other in terms of the energy, um, in terms of playfulness, and like they're both willing to kind of throw back whatever the other one is kind of throwing at them. Definitely, they they are very well matched. <laughs> So the next song on the soundtrack is Sonatine Bureaucratique by Frank Glazer. Uh, This song was originally composed by French composer Eric Satie. It is uh, a neoclassical and more specifically a parody on late classical composer Muzio Clementi's Sonatina Opus 36, number one. It is the final entry in his humoristic piano music of the 1910s, and it is uh, Satie's only full-scaled parody of a single musical work. I have nothing to add. I know nothing about that. (laughs) You sound like you know what you're talking about, so just great. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) I I second what you just said. (laughs) So this song is featured uh, after the dinner party, you know, everyone's now gathered inside. It's too dark out. Elio's father, Professor Perlman, he says that you're ruining everyone's fun because Elio's sulking because Oliver is not there. Uh, this is the song that Elio plays on the piano once he is coaxed into it. Well, is this the scene where he's playing the piano and Oliver walks in? He's like, what are you playing? And Elio's like, I'm playing such and such. And I, it's like this weird back and forth where like Elio won't say exactly what he's playing he's just trying to press oliver's buttons a little bit well this is uh actually a different Ah, (laughs) one but i do oh well (laughs) i love that scene too that song's unfortunately not on the soundtrack that is a good one though oh wow so uh later we hear a reprise of this song as elio and oliver get their swim trunks on you know you get to see couple of butts in this movie this is italy they were very short shorts 
they did wear very short shorts <laughs> and um actually army hammers private areas sometimes had to be uh ex- extricated from the film because the shorts were so short who do you think got that job on the production like you have to photoshop out army hammers balls from these shorts oh my yeah. gosh i uh I, that sounds like a fun job, though. I mean, for I can me think personally. of so many worse things to do for a living. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my gosh. So the next song we have is a German song. Um, so I'm not... Yeah, this is going to be horrible, but it's something like Zian Hort die Singen from Cantata. And this is actually a piano transcription of box 1731 Cantata. It is uh, on the soundtrack performed by Alessio Bax. And it is, uh, it's elegant and measured and works just as well for the piano as it does in its original version, which was written for voice and instrumental accompaniment. So this song was uh, featured in the scene where Elio is writing in his notebook, like, I thought you hated me, you know, like contemplating that whole relationship. (laughs) Um, And then it continues on into the next scene where Elio is transcribing music while listening to his Walkman outside. And Chise brings up the little fish and they have their little moment together. (laughs) <laughs> and then continues into the next scene where Oliver and Elio are tanning by the pool. There's a lot of tanning. There's a lot of shirtlessness. I, it, it is a very stark. I'm here for it. It is very stark contrast to the the cold October weather outside of my apartment, <laughs> in which I am bundled up in a turtleneck and pants. <laughs> very much. I very much would rather be somewhere in Italy by a nice pool in the backyard with you know the fruit trees all around you Uh, yeah so then uh the next song we have is lady 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 by giorgio moroder and joe esposito um this is actually has been uh timothy chalamet has actually said this is his favorite song from the movie so that's a fun fact (laughs) so did didn't he learn at least one instrument for the movie did he learn piano or was it guitar well, he learned both, I believe. Okay, so the, he learned both. He, you know, he took Italian. Like, wow, what a man! Get you a man yeah, who can do I it mean, all. He can do it all. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So this is um, a fun part where they're at the. You know, this is the part where Elio's just sort of on the sidelines. Oliver is dancing um, with Kiara, and Elio's totally jealous, and he just like. He wants to be her held in army, you know, in in Oliver's arms. I would also be jealous of not being able to dance with Army Hammer and those uh, sensual moves of his. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Next, we have Un Bark Sur L'Ocean from Miroirs. And this is played by Andre Laplante. Uh, This is uh, from Ravel's Miroirs. It is a suite for the piano with five movements, uh, the third of which is what appears on this soundtrack. And it is impressionistic and atmospheric and lends nicely to the dreamy northern Italian scenes. Um, So this is featured in a couple different scenes, one of which is when uh, they are in Sermione and they are pulling this beautiful statue that is gifted from... Uh, I forget who his name is. I think it's Alexander or something, to, and it's given to his male lover. So this statue is sort of like, you know, representing their love of if Elio and Oliver. And then this is the part where I think it's like Oliver is holding the little like the arm that they found out that out of the ocean. And Timothy Chalamet just yeah. shakes it, and it's really sweet. And I'm pretty sure that was improvised. Like, wow, I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love that part. It was I think it was improvised and it's uh you know the tool for them to cuz there's a lot of like, you know, if Elio expresses too much of his feelings towards Oliver, then Oliver pulls away and then and so it's like this sort of back and forth through the whole movie. So, next we have the first of Sufjan Stevens songs and this is Futile Devices 
but remixed by Dove Man. And this scene is featured in the scene where it's dusk and Elio is just longing for Oliver and waiting for him to come home. Oliver has been gone all day and, and Elio just wants him there terribly. And I, and I have a quote that I really like from the, from this song. And it is, it's been a long, long time since I've memorized your face. It's been four hours now since I've walked through your place. Uh, so to me, this song is about admitting his feelings for Oliver. When you have strong feelings and you're not sure if they feel the same way about you, um, it can be really tough. And it's just like, you're like, ah, oh, I just love you so much. Like, do you feel the same? And uh, later in the song, uh, Steven sings, I do love you. So that's sort of like, to me, it's uh, Elio's inner thought. He's like, you know, I do love you, Oliver. I agree. I love that. I like there is a lot of like symbolism within this movie. You just kind of have to do a little bit of research and then it really comes alive for you. Totally. So we have a another song from uh, Japanese composer Mr. Sakamoto called Germination. He originally wrote this song for the 1983 Nagisa Oshima directed film Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence and here is heard in a piano version so fun fact let's see I think we can go ahead and just sort of skip through a couple of these songs Um, next we have words by F.R. David and A La Vita by Marco Armani these are um, you know songs just sort of playing in the background on the uh, radio as Elio's in his little hideaway spot. Um, these are songs that he's actually hearing. So this is called diegetic uh, music because this is actually happening for the character in this movie. So after that song, we those two songs, we have Mystery of Love, which is the first of the two songs that he, Sufjan Stevens, specifically wrote for this movie. Uh, what do you think about this movie, Will? Or this song, I should say. I was going to say, I mean, ask me how I really feel. <laughs> We've been going over it already <laughs> so much. Um, yeah, well, okay, I I love this song. I Like, when I, okay, when I first saw the movie and listened to the soundtrack, I will be honest, I, for a while, I did just listen to the Sufjan Stevens songs, and then eventually I was like, oh, well, maybe this other music was there for a reason, so I guess I'll check it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this this song does uh, have a lot of um, it resonates with me a lot, and I did I did pick out some lyrics from it. Should we go over lyrics now or? Yeah, what do you got okay. for us? Well, so from Mystery of Love, um, I have it written down here in my my notes. Like Hephaestion who died, Alexander's lover. Now my riverbed has dried. Shall I find no other? So upon doing some Googling, Hephaestion, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, he was a soldier mm-hmm. who served with Alexander the Great in battle. And according to historic, re- historic records, their relationship was more than friends, uh, at the very least. I, I don't, like me personally, I don't think I can apply this very modern term of gay or queer to something that is centuries and centuries old before they had really had those concepts as the way we think of them now but it's sort of i like that uh stevens is referencing like uh greek history in this song it kind of lends this epic feeling to this to this romance yeah it's this is romance that's still referenced to this day so it kind of speaks to the power of elio and oliver's uh love for each other Definitely. I think that they're, you know, in this song, I think Elia, or they're kind of comparing Elio and Oliver to Hephaestion and Alexander. So I think, because they say, you know, like, oh, I know that you guys were friends. Some might say more than friends, like in the end, the, with the, the dad was talking to him. So that kind of like is what you were talking about with the actual relationship of Hephaestion and Alexander. I really like the lyrics in this song also um, the one the part at the beginning where it says the first time that you touched me oh will wonders ever cease blessed be the memories of love so I just chose that because to me it's about the start of a new relationship and the feeling you know magical those butterflies you feel when you see the other person and when they're 
you know, not around, you have your memories of love. I I agree. It feels like your first like gay romance or your first like queer kiss. Um, and it's like, oh, this is what love feels like. Cool. <laughs> Sweet. I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> So next, the song on the soundtrack is Radio Varsavia by Franco Battiato. And, um, you know, this is just another fun pop song from Italy in the time. So we're going we're gonna to keep trucking through our little adventure here to the next song, which is, you know, one of the popular songs that is not written by Sufjan Stevens. And this is Love My Way by the Psychedelic Furs. Yes, I um, I wrote down some other lyrics from the song as well that stuck out to me. This is a groovy song. It, yeah. It's just, it's really fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, okay, so the lines are, Swallow all your tears, my love, and put on your new face. You can never win or lose if you don't run the race. Which I think encapsulates dating in a nutshell. Like, you have to really be willing to put yourself out there and face rejection or awkwardness and be vulnerable with another human being. But if you don't do that, you're never going to find that special someone. So I, I think it's it's a good summary of that, I think. Totally. And, and it's really interesting to me the way you interpret that, because I actually picked a whole different part of this song, and I feel like I have the same... Uh, the same meaning towards it so it's clearly like one of those songs that is just like a lot like so connects with so many people mm-hmm. so the part I picked was there's an army on the dance floor it's a fashion with a gun my love in a room without a door a kiss is not enough I love my way it's a new road I follow where my mind goes so to me, this is about Army, you know, or Oliver, you know, thinking about these new and for him forbidden feelings towards Elio. Um, as we find out later in the movie, Oliver's parents aren't as accepting of his bisexuality or whatever he may consider himself. So he's trapped in this feeling that he wants to be good. Oliver says that a lot through the movie. He's trapped in this room, but exploring love in his own way, which is opening up new doors. And I mean, you can kind of... So... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go for it. I was going to say, you could also kind of interpret that as heteronormativity, as just like you're grappling with the sort of like expectation that you have and you're trying to like slowly but surely maybe branch out of that and find some more individuality totally or or even just being in the closet too you could interpret it in that in that manner as well it can feel uh like a room with no doors (laughs) for sure sometimes it's a locked closet it sucks (laughs) (laughs) you're for real so in a newer interview with usa today the band's co-frontman richard butler said quote once i heard call me by your name had love my way in it i went to go see it I was surprised at the amount of times you hear this song in the film. And there's that one scene where they're talking about the band and someone says, yeah, we went to England to see them last year. Richard Butler's great. It makes you feel really proud to be sitting in a cinema audience and hearing the name of your band, end quote. So I thought that was really cool, like how much they embraced it, especially you know, being in a, a queer movie. Yeah, that's sweet. That would have been really awkward if he was like, what is it doing in this movie? This movie sucks. I want it to be recalled. <laughs> like, <laughs> you might as well accept it. Well, it's funny too, because I think this song was featured in um, 16 Candles, mm. a John Waters film. And he was like, not happy with that. I, like, if you had to pick between the two movies, I would definitely pick Call Me By Your Name as the less problematic of the two <laughs> to have your song featured in. <laughs> yeah, 16 Candles. Well, John Waters always pushes the button, you know, pushes the bar oh, wait, in his John movies. John Hughes or John Waters? Or I'm sorry, John Hughes. I'm sorry. I was going to say, John Waters you know, all the Johns. pushes literally every single button on the shirt. But in, I would say in a yeah. very different way than John Hughes. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, totally. All right, so let's just try and quickly get through this. The, the next song is Le Jardin Ferry from Ma Mère Loye. And this is 
uh, a song. It means the fairy garden, and it's from piano duet turned into uh, an orchestral work called Ma Mère Loi. Uh, it was written for the children of Polish sculptor Cyprian Godebski, a friend of Ravel's. And this piece was adapted into the ballet known as Ma Mère Loi, which means Mother Goose. So it's the fairy garden section of this Mother Goose ballet, basically. <laughs> All right, moving on. We have Visions of Gideon by Sufjan Stevens and his last and second original song contributed to this movie this is um you know it's actually kind of funny because i remember the first time i heard this song i thought he was saying visions of elio oh okay. for some reason like the way it said i can see that just he pronounces things very softly he doesn't enunciate a lot <laughs> he doesn't so i was like oh visions of elio and then and then i saw like the credits and i was like oh visions of gideon oops my bad <laughs> i i think this Probably is it fair to say that this would be the most like famous song from the movie? Because I th- definitely think I feel like it, right? Because I mean, the, Timothy Chalamet sitting by the fireplace, cr- like b- silently bawling his eyes out, and then staring at the camera, like you feel that emotion so viscerally, and I think that is a, a very powerful image that a lot of people take away from the movie. Definitely, that's one of the uh, most. I don't know, like. I feel like that's one of the most talked about scenes of this movie because there's just, he, you know, Timothy Chalamet, he's showing so much emotion on his face. You know, it's basically, he, you know, him thinking back all these great times. And so I really, I don't know. I love it a lot. It's really interesting. It's reflective. It's iconic. And it's one of those like songs. It makes you want to sit through the entire credits. Like every time I went to see this in the theater, like you have to just you just have to finish the song out and and it's playing for like a few minutes you know it's just that good oh yeah and i am not someone who usually sits through credits but that if you're playing that song then how could you not and i had some lyrics from this one too <laughs> that uh really resonated with me also and so the okay. the line goes for the love for laughter i flew up to your arms is it a video is it a video and I was reading that I think Sufjan Stevens based that lyric on like Elio literally crawling into Oliver's arms for like safety and comfort. And I think it's a beautiful way to convey what might seem like a very small gesture, but actually is very indicative of how like emotionally and physically close the, the two of them were together. It's very dramatic and I love the drama. Yeah, we're here for it. <laughs> I I really like the the just right at the very beginning um or towards the beginning he says, "I have loved you for the last time. Is it a video? Is it a video? I've touched you for the last time. Is it a video? Is it a video?" So to me, um this is like Elio looking back on all of his experiences and wondering like if it was even real. Because you know Oliver's gone at this point. He's been gone for a while, and you know Elio misses him. And you know when when you're kind of removed from that experience, like remembering back, you just have the memories of it in your head. So to him, it's almost like he's just watching a video because all he has left at this point are the memories of of Oliver in his head. I well, and I also I do want to bring up. I don't know. If you've ever seen, uh, it's the comedy show The Other Two on Comedy Central. I haven't so seen that, is, no. <laughs> this is relevant, I promise. But one of the episodes, well, what, the main character is a, a gay dude, and one of the episodes does a straight-up parody of Call Me By Your Name. And so the, and <laughs> you can probably look this up on YouTube, and I want to look it up too, but you, there's a scene in the credits where it's the main character is staring at... Uh, this electric fireplace and sobbing much like Timothy Chalamet did and it ends with <laughs> someone in the background being like what are you staring at because he's staring at like you the viewer but <laughs> in the world the show is just a part of the wall so I right it's great it's so great please look it up uh that's funny find it. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the first part of this podcast where we talked about the call me by your name soundtrack like I said at the beginning of the show, I will be back next week with Will Jameson to discuss their album of choice, Sarah Bareilles' live album, Brave Enough, live at the Variety Playhouse. 
So make sure that you stay tuned next week because there will be a brand new episode. So stay tuned and I hope you're ready for more fun with Will Jameson and Sarah Bareilles. Part two to this podcast is coming right to your ear holes next Friday. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Trouble Trouble podcast. The theme music you heard at the top of the show was made by me. The logo was illustrated and designed by the amazingly talented queer artist, Will Jameson. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter at the Will Jameson. This is an indie podcast, which means no commercials, at least for now. It also means that I can't use the clips from the album we discussed because my lawyers have advised against it. Copyright laws, am I right? The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe, tell a friend, and leaving a review. It really helps other music fans find this show. If you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, feel free to listen to my other podcast, Thanks for Coming, a RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. I record that show with two of my best friends, Jamal and Stoney. You can find us at TFC Pod on Instagram and Twitter. That's all I've got for you now. If you made it through the whole podcast, you rock. With that, I'll see you next time at the show. And before I sign off, I would like to, of course, extend the invitation to Timothy Chalamet, Army Hammer, Michael Stuhlberg, Luca Guadagnino, Andre Asaman, and anybody else from the Call Me By Your Name movie to come on the show. I'd love to interview you, pick your brains a little bit. Signing off, I'm your host, Seth. Rock on, young savior. Don't give up your hopes.